Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief. I'm joined today by correspondent John Evans and Executive Editor John Fiorillo. We have picked out just a few of the stories from the past week uh, that we feel are worth highlighting. Um, let's go ahead and start with online sales. Online sales, uh, obviously, over the past two years since the pandemic began, is uh, are increasingly uh, a bigger and bigger share of the entire world's uh, shopping spend, um, and seafood is no exception. Um, and uh, and John uh, Evans, you were sitting in on a uh, on a, a seminar this week. Uh, and there were some new statistics from the Norwegian Seafood Council. They always have fantastic research, given their uh, given their resources and funding. Um, but tell us a little bit about um, what you heard about online seafood sales and just how big it's going to get. Yeah, well, by 2025, online seafood sales are expected to account for 36% of total global business by uh 2025. That's a seafood business, according to the Norwegian, uh, the Norway Seafood Council, as you mentioned. And if we look back a little bit to 2015, um, seafood sales were, uh, or the e-commerce share in seafood sales, I should say, was 14%, and last year it was 28%. So it's doubled, and it's expected to be 30% this year. So uh, growing uh, all the time, as as you mentioned. Um, Oh, she was, as you mentioned, it's been driven by the global COVID-19 pandemic. And um, the forecasts are about 3 to 4% or two years ahead of where they were expected to be at this point in time. And uh, not only that, the, the, the crisis has um, sparked new ways of thinking and operating by producers, distributors, and of course, consumers who, for a lot of the time over the last 18 months, have been stuck at home. Uh, under lockdowns um, and um, with the food service now sector now uh, rebuilding following the collapse of business um, you know it's still expected to get a hefty slice of um, business yeah and I think um, that that's what was uh, what was kind of surprising is we, we saw everybody sort of scramble to set up online uh, online uh, stores uh, and pivot over to, to retail online sales. But there was a feeling, um, I think in general, a feeling that this would kind of taper off. But then again, uh, nobody expected for the pandemic to be, uh, to last so long and be so intense. Um, but, but already, just in a general sense, there's some new statistics out about uh, the second quarter. And in the US alone, e-commerce sales rose 9%. Um, there is now expect so that's about one now one dollar and every five dollars is spent online, um, which still seems a little bit small. But when you think about where it's been, um, especially and when you think about offline sales growing the way that they are, that is a massive, uh, massive amount of volume. And, you know, the latest statistics coming out uh, for online holiday sales um, expects a record uh, over $200 billion in sales for the holiday, even though uh, John Evans, is, as you know, since this is a beat you cover closely, even though 
uh, shipping is poised to cause all kinds of uh, problems. John Fiorillo, um, what's your take on the rise in uh, seafood sales? Are you surprised by that percentage? Because I was. Well, I, I was surprised. I've been surprised for a while. I mean, since the pandemic really set in that <clears throat> online food shopping has, you know, really gone um, <clears throat> soared. And what, what I what I think I'm seeing now is where uh, interfaces with retail, supermarket and stuff, I think a lot of people used uh, used to online shop and then either pick it up or get it delivered early on in the pandemic and through maybe the first year. I think that's, I've seen data that shows that that's, you know, diminishing. And that makes sense because I see more people in the stores and everything when I go. However, at food service, I think that's where uh, the online ordering for pickup or delivery from Grubhub or some third party, I think that's where the strength is right now. In fact, there was a, uh, a release from Chipotle today, big uh, Mexican uh, restaurant chain in the U.S., uh, that said their, um, their uh, sales, uh, digital sales, are up 9% year over year and now represent 43% of their total sales. I, I, that number astounded me. That that seems really high. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, it, you know, it's it, that's that seems to be an enduring uh, side effect of COVID, I think. Yeah, and I, I think, as, as you said, uh, John Evans, what's fascinating about it is that even as food service returns, and this is a general trend, even as food service returns, we've seen retail maintain its strength, but uh, e-commerce says as well. And I think early on in the pandemic, there was, um, John, I remember you talked to a, a, uh, an analyst, uh, Rick Stein of FMI, and he was saying, too, that um, he thought those online sales were going to stick. Um, and I think a lot of people thought, well, no, you know, the world would get back to shopping in person. But just like any habit, you develop it. Um, and and, uh, and there it is. I think also um, there was concern that fresh fish would lose out uh, in this, or fish in general could lose out because people like to see it, like to touch it, um, see if it's fresh. But that hasn't turned out to be true either. Um, it turns out that vacuum packing and just generally trusting that your, uh, that your retail store of choice is going to do a good job, um, that has really helped uh, even chilled online sales be strong as well. Well, you're seeing a lot of seafood-specific, um, you know, direct-to-consumer business emerging too, whether it's being done by already established seafood companies or startups um, in Alaska and elsewhere. So um, there, there's a built-in convenience to that that's, you know, really been um, amplified during COVID. I mean, you get a pack of nice, like you said, vacuum-packed frozen salmon fillets or halibut or whatever it may be. You can put them in the freezer and then, you know, use them at your discretion. You don't have to get fresh fish. Uh, as we all know, fr frozen fish, if it's done properly, is perfectly fine. So, anyways, I see that. Uh, I see that getting stronger and stronger as well. No, I was just going to say that. 
Um, I'm, I'm just talking about my own experience here in, in Brazil, where there are street markets and as well as supermarkets. And uh, it kind of struck me recently uh, that maybe people will do what we're doing at the moment or to some degree in terms of adopting a hybrid shopping model. And now we have the market trader delivering some of the fruit and vegetables that we eat or most of that, um, you know, uh, on a Friday. Uh, and, and then we'll just go to the market and instead of lugging in a massive amount of uh, goods home, uh, we just uh, t bring back a few things, um, whether, whether that be fresh fish or whatever. I'm not quite sure, you know, what that model would take on, whether which, which way would people would buy fresh fish in, in that in that way. But, um, yeah, that's, that's one um, thing to be thinking about. I think also... Um, as uh, the uh, Norway Seafood Council um, mentioned, you know, the biggest challenge, it, not only in Brazil, but around the world, is motivating and inspiring young people to eat more seafood, as it's generally acknowledged that people with more disposable income who are in older age groups tend to have the money to spend, uh, particularly on fresh fish. <clears throat> yeah, personally, when it comes to retail, like buying groceries online and either picking them up or having them delivered, I'm not in that loop whatsoever. I still go to the grocery store once a week, do my shopping. But, Drew, I, I think you told me you buy a lot of your uh, food online, or is that not right? I thought you told me that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's it's one of those uh, habits, again, from a lot of people that uh, that I know. Um, it's a habit that's stuck. People feel a little guilty about it, to be honest. You know, people are starting to feel a little guilty about the amount of money that they give to some of the larger uh, larger retailers like Amazon. So I do see John Evans, that being an interesting idea, the hybrid model. Um, and, you know, provided that there are sort of depots and the availability to get this product, um, you know, more quickly to consumers, I can I can definitely see it, uh, see it sticking. And there are so many delivery services now um, that that do this. And I, I think it kind of undercuts that idea and maybe just the, the move away from brick and mortar shopping undercuts that idea of the importance of the big centerpiece uh, fresh fish display, um, which is for so long, particularly in places like France uh, and the UK, where they really like to have um, a, a beautiful presentation. You've seen people move away from that, move towards uh, vacuum-packed uh, products. I mean, that's been, to me at least, the, the, one of the biggest trends, one of the most positive trends for seafood, but one of the biggest trends we've seen uh, explode during, uh, during the COVID period. While we are on uh, retail promotion, um, let's talk a little bit about a major promotion uh, the largest of its kind, um, the first of its kind, really. Um, Atlantic Sapphire, the land-based salmon uh, uh, operator that now has um, a farm in Miami since their uh, operation in Denmark burned down, um, along with a string of other um, bits of bad luck for the, uh, for the group. Um, but, John, there uh, was kind of a mixed bit of news from, um, from, the, uh, from this retail promotion. Tell us about the promotion and tell us about some of your coverage, too, although we've alluded to it in the past and certainly written loads on, on, uh, on .com. 
intrapitch.com. Um, tell us a bit about this latest one. Yeah, so we recently passed the one-year anniversary of when Sapphire um, kicked out its first, you know, uh, production to the market, if you will. And they listed a bunch of retailers who were first adopters that had agreed to sell the fish. So we wanted to revisit those retailers and see how things were going. And, um, you know, our first story was about Giant Eagle and they we had learned from them that they had dropped the fish. It wasn't selling. Um, the color wasn't quite up to uh, par with other fish. Um, the, the staff had trouble explaining why this piece of farm salmon was two or three dollars more a pound than the piece next to it. So it didn't do very well there. But at the same time, we had learned that Publix, which is a, a major chain uh, in the southeast uh, based in Florida, they were planning the first ever store wide uh, chain wide promotion to all twelve hundred and eighty two uh, one thousand two hundred eighty two. I'm sorry of their stores. So we're like, well, okay, that's that's something. So it went on for a week. It was uh, an in-store promotion. It wasn't in their weekly ad or anything, but they'd put a lot of uh, point of purchase power behind it and all that. So um, what we learned when we called Guy Pizzuti, who manages the seafood category for the chain, what we learned from him is basically it performed under his expectations. So it wasn't up to what he was expecting. But he said he was still happy with the results. Um, he said he'd do it again, but the time had come for the fish to, uh, I think he said, stand on its own, which generally means they're not going to do, you know, to keep promoting it. It has to be able to uh, compete, I guess you could say, with other fish in the case if it wants to continue to be in the case. So. A kind of a mixed bag. The other retailers, uh, their Wegmans and some other ones, they weren't really forthcoming. But generally, you know, there's doesn't appear to be a lot of activity with the fish at those early adopters uh, that took it on. So uh, we'll wait and see. You know, um, they're still not producing much fish, so that you know they they can't probably do a lot of promotions anyways. So what about that price point that you mentioned earlier? I mean, how sensitive um, were, were these buyers saying that consumers were to that? Because that's been sort of the, the, big, the, the big challenge has been, will consumers actually pay more for a product that's, that's grown domestically uh, and has these sustainable attributes? But it sounds like that was a, a hurdle. Well, at Giant Eagle, it certainly was, and we don't really know. Guy didn't, Guy Pizzuti didn't get into that with me very much, but he did say um, the salmon was featured for twelve ninety nine uh, pound during the promo, which is two dollars a pound less than what it normally sells for at public supermarkets. So you have to compare that with what traditional farm salmon sells for there which is basically 11.99 a pound uh and then 9.99 a pound when it goes on sale so this this is definitely you know there's no no doubt this is more expensive obviously so the challenge really becomes 
when a customer asks, why is that one $3 more a pound? Your staff has to be able to explain that. And if the only explanation is, well, it's grown in the U.S., eh, I don't know if that's going to be enough, you know, because um, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in some markets it is. I, I don't know. But I, I think that is, you know, answering that key question, what's the difference, is what's missing right now, if you, if you ask me about how this fish is being marketed at retail. What's the difference? When the customer asks that question, if you can't deliver something honestly and convincingly, oof, it's going to be tough to sell it. Well, now I would say, though, that there are some winds of change blowing that could be really, um, that could really help this marketing message for land-based producers, whether they're producing in, uh, in France or China or wherever it might be, because the, the, the selling point on this, of course, or part of the selling point is lower costs because of transportation, um, which in theory makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, that still cost of production without scale is going to be very difficult to match um, what you're getting out of conventional net pen um, salmon. But what is an interesting argument that is becoming more and more important is the uh, carbon, uh, the carbon emission argument. And it is something that I think we're going to see a lot more companies begin to articulate. We already are, but in more of a, uh, I would say, uh, B2B sense. You're seeing a lot, and, and, and also kind of uh, signaling to lenders, of course, as well, and investors. Um, you're seeing a lot of people really ramp up their ESG uh, initiatives. Um, our colleague, uh, Hannah Gazelius, has a fantastic story that we're rolling out on Monday about uh, blue and green bonds and sustainability linked bonds. Um, so this is, I think, going to be a bigger and bigger part of, of consumer choice, maybe in the way that eco-labels uh, were at, at one point. Can you see that uh, happening, John Furrow? Uh, yeah, I can. I think that the timeline for that's a, a bit down the road, but... Um, you know, and that begs the question: Can these can these uh, land-based guys survive that long? Can they scale within that time? Because right now, even if you factor in like the the transportation costs savings, stuff's still way way more expensive. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it just feels like it's gonna be a boutique kind of sector to me for a long time unless of course sapphire um can um change that equation like uh, they want to do well there's a first mover advantage and sometimes there's first mover disadvantage and uh, you know there are a lot of projects that are getting built getting financing uh, Cargill just bought into uh, a project in Norway, Salmon Evolution, a land-based project that already had the backing of, of Korean giant Dong Wan, which owns, among other things, the Starkist tuna brand. Um, so th there's still a lot of money going into it. Um, and I think, obviously, people are going to watch Atlantic Sapphire very, very closely and watch all these, uh, watch all these trends. 
Um, but it could be, unfortunately, for Atlantic Sapphire that, you know, all these mistakes that they're making being kind of the first pioneers of large-scale land-based salmon production are going to be things that their competitors are going to learn from. But, you know, uh, that, that's just how, um, how new, new sectors go. Um, it was a sad week this week. I don't think you can overstate the, the influence of, uh, of Chuck Bundren, the founder of Trident Seafoods. Um, I don't think there has ever been a, dare I use the word, celebrity in the way that uh, there has been with Chuck Bundren. Yeah, I mean, you can see from the outpouring of sentiments that have come in since his death how how much he was loved and how much people valued what he did, not only for Alaska, but the entire seafood industry in North America. So, uh, you know, he's been called a legend, and absolutely. I mean, if, if, if that word is going to fit anybody, it's going to fit Chuck. Um yeah, he just, uh, to me, he represents kind of an end of an era, too. Um, you know, he was a bare-knuckle guy, made his way, you know, the story of legends, came out here with, you know, no money in his pocket, basically, and turned himself and his company into million-dollar enterprises and uh, changed the Alaska seafood industry in a way that shaped it, um, you know, to this day. So, um you know, I, I've spoke to him several times over the years. We weren't close, so, so I don't want to give that impression. But, you know, he was always great to me. He always gave me time on the phone, which as a journalist, you know, that's that's important, obviously. So, um, yeah, it's sad. And, you know, he was eulogized on the uh, floor of the U.S. Senate. That does not happen to many people. That is a high honor. So, yeah, rest in peace, Chuck. You'll be missed. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I can't say any more than than you just did, John. I think you you summed it up great. I mean, um, y you know, as a kid growing up in Alaska, um, again, there weren't that many Alaskan celebrities. Um, maybe the people that won the Iditarod, <laughs> you know, there there just weren't a lot of people that had um, that had gone on to do uh, you know amazing things yet yet. Um, but because now we've got Olympians, we've got amazing people. So, um, but, uh, but, um, but Chuck Bundren was that person and he was loved and feared and, um, how many of those stories were true, who knows, but, um, but what was different about him and I think why he had so much respect, even for fishermen that didn't fish for him or, um, you know, fish for competitors or even fishermen that hate processing companies, of which there are many, um, there was a, a level of respect for the way that uh, he, he was, you know, he was a fisherman. And I think until the end, he was a fisherman. Um, and, and to see a, a fisherman come in um, and really um, buck the, the system, this uh, entrenched um, Alaska cannery processing system that had existed since, you know, the late 1800s, um, to go in there and say, you know what, I'm going to do it differently. I don't know that he had any intention beyond just his own ambition, 
to, to change how it all functioned, but he certainly did. And you think of Trident, or I, I've thought of Trident um, certainly over the past 20 years when, when I've been writing about the company. You know, I, I've thought of it as, as the influential company that it, that it is, but thought of it as, you know, kind of always being around. And maybe part of that is, is that, you know, um, growing up there, you, you knew that Trident was, was sizable. Um, but it really is a, a pretty young company. And I was surprised at how young Chuck uh, was when he passed. And I think that going up against um, some of those big companies in the way that he did, he didn't do it, um, you know, he, he did it through innovation. And that's always the best way um, to take on competitors is to actually do something different. Hit them hit where they ain't. And what he really changed was how seafood could be frozen and processed. And that went from uh, in Bristol Bay, uh, home of, of uh, the most valuable wild salmon run, most of the product was put into cans. And, um, you know, Chuck saw that there was a massive Japanese market that uh, would take uh, frozen sockeye. Um, there was just this this notion that you didn't have to do it the way it had been done before, um, and I think that's a huge. I think that's a huge issue for a lot of the seafood industry is that notion that well we've always done it this way. So it's kind of rare that a company would be that such an established such a large company would be built on that idea of we don't have to do it the same way. And I think that um, I think he was able to maintain that um, for for um, throughout the, um, the the history of of Trident so far. Yeah, the other thing, Drew, that is is rare and getting more rare every day is um, his devotion to having it as a family company. He didn't make any qualms about it. He, this was a family-owned company, and it was going to stay that way. I believe Joe is going to carry that on, uh, his son Joe, who now runs the company. Um, but he, he, was, uh, you know, he was adamant about that. And it's amazing that that company is the largest seafood company more than likely in North America. If it's not number one, it's, you know, one and a half. Um, so it's, it, it's really an interesting commitment. And, uh, you know, everything I've heard from Joe is that it's going to stay that way. I mean, they've been approached so many times by, you know, venture capitalists and investment banks and all those people who, you know, offer money and promises, but he never, he never went in that direction. He, he always bet on himself, I guess. Yeah. Well, that seems like a good way to, a good way to end it. You will be missed by the industry and, and missed by um, all of those uh, of us that, that follow the industry and, and track it. So a fond farewell, Chuck. Okay, folks, well, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We will speak to you next week.